Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined by Julianne Robinson, writer, director, producer. And one of our favorite humans. You may be most recently familiar with her work in Bridgerton. I met Julianne on a television show called I Feel Bad, and it introduced me to one of my favorite movies, Coming Down the Mountain, which you can watch on Prime Video. It is the story of two brothers, and one of those brothers just happens to have Down syndrome. It was the first movie that I watched that had a character with Down syndrome that was an actual, real depiction, and all the relationships just ring so true to life. And so to be able to speak with Julie today about inclusion and diversity, it was a special treat. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Julianne Robinson. How are you? Oh, it's so nice to see your face. And yours. We're so excited to talk to you today. Oh, good. (laughs) You know, I know that when we first met, uh, you introduced me to your movie, Coming Down the Mountain, and we were I was able to watch it with Stephen, and then also we watched it with Liam and Sophia. It was really good. It was such a great experience to watch with Liam and Sophia, and um, and just because for me, I feel like so it, it benefits Sophia because she's a sibling, and I think that sometimes she probably has thoughts and feelings that are are hard to navigate because of the situation. So, it was really great to be able to share it as a family. Oh, that's great! Yes, and uh, it was also wonderful because I feel like there was a an effect on Liam. Because Liam watches lots of movies and he never sees anybody with Down syndrome. And the character is so strong. Yes, he is. He's very strong. He's very strong. And and Tommy was very strong too, the actor. He was very opinionated. Well, uh, do you want to start with telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, my name is Julianne Robinson. I am a television director and producer and uh, I have been for a long time, I guess about 15 years I've been working in the industry. And uh, I did a movie called Coming Down the Mountain, with, was, which was written by a writer called Mark Haddon, who's best known for um, the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. He wrote that book. It was his only screenplay. Mark decided that he was gonna conquer each area that he chose to tackle. So he is, he's a poet, he's a playwright. And in this instance, he decided to write a screenplay. And that's, I was part of the development of the screenplay and the director of the movie. Julie, had you had any experience with somebody with Down syndrome before this movie? No, never, not, non, none at all. No experience. Did you have any expectations or what were your expectations going into it? I, you know, it was such a long process developing the script. It it took 32 drafts before the BBC decided to make it. 
it was agonizing. And so by the time the BBC decided to green light it, it was so much a part of, and I was involved basically for most of those 32 drafts. So by the time they decided to green light it, it was just so part of me that um, there was no kind of anxiety moving forward. Working with an actor with Down syndrome, did you have any expectations about what that would be like? I didn't. I didn't. I know that was one of your questions, and I'm I'm being being truthful. I I as a director, I kind of take people as they come, and so I felt, you know, we, we auditioned many many people. We auditioned about three hundred actors for that role, and we had big. We had group calls for actors, and then we we just before we found Tommy. Um, when we found Tommy, we decided, you know, it, it it was just he's another actor, as far as I was concerned. And all actors, as you know, have their different challenges and their strong suits, and um, that's how I felt about Tommy. Man, I love you. That's beautiful. I wish the rest of the world was so much. That's that's just how that's what we want to hear because you you know a lot of. Uh, what our experience has been is just different perceptions that people have of our son and they have different expectations and that puts different limits on him and, and barriers that he, unnecessary barriers that he has to break through. So when someone says they had no expectation, that just makes me happy. Just another actor. Yeah. That just makes me happy because that's how, but that's, that's who you are. And that's, um, it's, it's really refreshing. I think just the movie, the way it impacted me is that it was the first time that I had seen somebody, a character portrayed with Down syndrome that was just, just like you said, just a, a person. And this this sibling rivalry, you know, Sophia and I did have a conversation about, you know, being brother and sister and, and what that was. And, and she said, well, I never felt like pushing Liam down a mountain. But it, gosh, it was just so great to have a real relationship and even just have that edge of these feelings mm-hmm. that can bring angst and i don't know it's just so real and i and i loved that because it was a conversation that nobody has i think now uh, it was interesting cuz i only had gosh my i only had my one oldest son who's now 16 i just had him and uh, we've got two kids one is 4 years younger and he's 16 and then 12 and I now look at my kids and I think, gosh, we did get it right. You know, we did get it right with that sibling rivalry and how, I mean, my kids, they love each other, but then there's moments where they hate each other. And I feel really proud from that point of view. And I also think that something that was really important was that uh, we had Nick Holt playing the other character because Nick is such a committed actor and he he didn't care about being likable you know he didn't care about how he came across he was just playing those scenes for the absolute intensity of the emotions within the scenes and he was very close to the age i mean he was gosh i think he would have been about 17 when he made that so he understood from the inside what that adolescent first love felt like and the psychological impact of that 
and he just would let Tommy have it. You know, he would just go there. And and it's only in retrospect that you realize, you know, we were really lucky to have Nick in that role. I mean, that was, yeah, a great piece of casting. Yeah, well, well we're fans of his work, but it is definitely that um, all, all of those pieces definitely come through because, you know, when you're talking about Nick Holtz, the truth to that he was committed to that role. That's hard. That's really hard as parents. You know, one of one of our challenges is you, if we're in a store, we're someplace with Liam, that to actually participate as parents, we're aware that sometimes people are like, hey, lady, yeah, <laughs> that boy has Down syndrome. You, you give Liam a timeout. And, and people and- are like, whoa, because it doesn't happen, right? And I think, I think that was one, as far as the brother, that was so great for Sophia to see. And and I encourage everybody to watch it just for siblings, you know, just for siblings to, it, it's like this entitlement to have all of your emotions, to, to just be, have that same liberty that everybody gets. And then for, for Liam, just that, that role to have such a strong role written. And, and I think one of my favorite lines is when he's mad at his brother for always being the favorite. And he says that mom and dad like me because I'm happy and you're always just depressed. So it has nothing to do with the Down syndrome. It's just you're kind of a, you know, a bummer. And I just, I just love it because I think that that entire movie could be cast with a, a typical actor. With my kids now. <laughs> right. Like as far as inclusion, that is the that is the true depiction of inclusion when it's interchangeable. I don't know. I can't say enough about the film. I, I love it and it impacted me. And, and I always, you know, refer to it to people to watch it just because I, I think it it also speaks so honestly about the parents and these poor parents who are doing their best, which every parent is always doing their best. But when you're dealing with a child with special needs, I mean, you, you guys just nailed it. You got it right across the board because we're going to fail. And just all that because all those feelings and Sophia was watching it and she was like, well, that's because the dad was being mean. And I was like, no, the dad wasn't. He was just doing his best. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you did mention Bridgerton and that. Oh, man. Inclusion. It's so beautiful to turn on the TV and just to see uh, unapologetic inclusion. Like that it's just, that's how it should be, Julie. It's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yes, yes, it was. um, It was hard, but I'm really, obviously really proud of it now. And in terms of the casting, I was very keen and it was always going to be diverse as far as I was concerned. Um, And I went into my first meeting with Shondaland and obviously they were already thinking that way. I was thinking slightly differently. I was gonna cast the Bridgerton family as diverse and they had already, I didn't know that Queen Charlotte was historically black. So, and it's really interesting when you start to look into that and you start looking at the pictures of Queen Charlotte, you can see that she was painted as white, but she was actually um, diverse. And then once you start building out from that thought, it was really interesting. So they built out from that idea that she had elevated people to high rank. That was the thinking behind that casting across the board. 
it, it wasn't as um, simple as simple colorblind casting. But for me, I'm fine with colorblind casting. So, you know, for a different project, that might be the way to go. Well, the the race had nothing to do with the show. You know, that was what was so fun. And, and that's where you talking about the way you, you saw Tommy when you cast him. Not that you don't see things. It's just that they don't matter. Yes, yes. And I suppose that sounds terribly naive. And it probably is very naive. Um, but that's definitely my, that's, that's my situation. We had a 20 minute conversation of what naive was last night. Uh, somebody called me naive last night. Uh, because we, <laughs> we had been talking about, it was a, about diversity. A, a book called how to, how be, to be an anti-racist. Anti and it was a book, a book club we were doing. And, and someone had said, maybe I'm naive. And she, she said, it, you'd have to be naive to think that. And I was like, well, uh, I'm naive. Then and I'm then naive. we were kind of debating what naive meant what were you talking about well they were talking you know we're on like chapters seven eight and nine and they're talking about you know racism and the tattoo that that the racism is kind of left behind and can we can we look beyond it can we actually move forward in an anti-racist like is it possible was is the it possible question. yeah and i immediately said yes it's a it's a choice. And, and I it, said, um, well, how much time do we have? What are we talking like my lifetime, the lifetime of humanity? So it was like that, that and then, dichotomy. You know, and then somebody else had an idea that it wasn't. And so I said, I, I may be naive, but I think it's just a choice. I think and I and I actually mentioned you. I, I mentioned Bridgerton. I mentioned Lin-Manuel. Just that it's it is just a choice. It's that it's that taking that step and just doing it. And that's, that's what they did with Hamilton. That's what you guys did with Bridgerton, that you just, you make the choice that you're going to make the change. And, and then you just do it. And, and that's, man, I, I, of course, when I was, when I was watching Bridgerton, I didn't know it was you. And then it got to the end and I went. Of course. <laughs> well, it's funny. I have been in this position before. I cast John Cho in Selfie. So that role was imagined as a white upper-class Englishman, like Henry Higgins in My Fair Lady. And it took a really long time to persuade top to bottom of everybody in that chain that John Cho is a perfect choice. And I still love that show. And John Cho was the perfect choice, but it's, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to, if you have a very clear idea of how something should be, it's hard to kind of get past that. Well, a beautiful part is the almost universal acceptance of the choices that you made and the choices that were made, because it can be controversial, I guess, but then it's put out there in media and to see the acceptance is a wonderful thing and a wonderful thing to say about our time and, and that this momentum can continue and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really, really hope so. But thank you for those words. It, it really means a lot. Well, it's true. It, and it, and you also, you're setting the groundwork to, you know, when my daughter turns on TV, that's what she'll see. And I think that's where, when people see it, then, you know, sometimes it takes seeing it before the change can really hold on, you know, and then, then other people do it. And then it's, of course, why not? Why weren't we doing this before? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Gosh. Oh, I feel quite emotional. Thank you. I'd never even really thought about it this way. 
Oh yeah, you you you're and and it's probably just because that's who you are, and I'd love to know what made you that way because everybody needs some of that in them. Everybody needs a lot of that in them. But you know, you've made me think because I feel bad was never originally intended to be an Indian family. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No, people assume that because it was written by a seam, but it wasn't. We auditioned many actresses for that role, many actresses, and sorry, you won it. And as a result of her winning the role, we then cast the family as uh, South Asian. And um, yeah, so that's how that show turned out to be what it was, but it was never, it was never written as that. It was written as a, honestly, as a white family. And what's interesting is Paul Adelstein, who is a good friend, um, sends his love, by the way, he was cast before Saryu, hence the blended family component, which then we went on to write to. Wow. So there you are. I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten that. Well, it was so perfect. And I think just having that diversity, just telling those, just, one of my best friends is Indian and she doesn't get, like her kids get to see themselves on TV, right? And just telling different stories in different cultures and having that I loved just learning because then I, I could go to my friend who's a good friend of mine and I could share a little bit deeper in who she was no it was so good that Asim was able to really you know dig into her heritage to really to really write to that but it is it, it's funny it's only when you start thinking about it I, I literally right now I just remembered because it became what it was and it was so much what it was um but I'd forgotten how it started that was such a beautiful show it was such such really beautiful people well it takes a wonderful quality in in you and in in the people that are producing that show for that to even be an option as well to even have an option to cast someone I'm with you and I was always I I loved Saryu and uh, she's spoken about the audition where she came in and she she walked down she thought oh that's it i nailed that you know (laughs) um but you've got a hats off to tracy picosta who was head of comedy at nbc network now she's head of comedy at netflix and you know hats off she she saw who the best person was no offense to everybody else who auditioned, but she saw Saryu, she fell in love with her, and there there we had our show. Well, I think if you're aware of it or not, barriers are being broken and, and by these shows. And we've mentioned him a couple of times uh, on the podcast, but I think Norman Lear, and I think of the advocacy that he may not have even totally been aware of that he was doing. And uh, I think we'll look back at these shows and see that true progress comes in tangent with it just in telling the stories yes yeah in a truthful honest way unapologetically completely that is a great sadness that that isn't still on (laughs) i think if it had been on even a year later (laughs) it would have had a different ride but um it was still very new very and a kind of a a new thing for the network to promote apart from anything else. I think people weren't quite sure how to promote it. It was difficult, it was difficult for everybody to understand on every level what they had really. 
I think that happens when you're the when you're the first. Mm-hmm. You you know when you're when you're doing something new that you know maybe in a couple years and and especially I feel like inclusion is now becoming a conversation that people are having and there's lots of ways that it's being incorporated, but it won't get to be where it's true inclusion until it doesn't have to be like a conversation where we understand where we should put it because it will be that everybody gets to tell their story and see their story. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, it's really, it's really important. I think the UK is much better than the U S is. I don't know if you've noticed, but, um, in terms of inclusion on television, specifically for disabled people um it's much more open to that i think whether it's part of the man bbc mandate but it, people just take it for granted far more than they do here uh, i find it so refreshing when i go back and watch tv and i for me that's my next area of challenge both in front of the camera and behind the camera that's something that i'm really trying to push through and um just have representation on screen um, because that's to me is you know that's the big area that is not being challenged right now you know the history of hollywood and the history of entertainment in the us has been on the whole white beautiful people seeing themselves represented on screen or aspirational in that way, you know, um, and everybody else's stories have been left out. And when you do get shows, it's kind of inspiration, <laughs> you know, it's the, you get the one character in the sea of kind of neurotypical, whatever people, and um, they are inspirational with their insights. And, um, you don't get a wide representation on screen and that's what i'm i'm really keen on and i'm trying to do something about not only on camera but behind the scenes as well i think it's about time that area was tackled so it's interesting that we're talking about coming down the mountain sorry that's my rant how that translates into liam's life is that he walks into a grocery store and it is everything is inspirational you know every everything is a cheer but there's no expectations on quality of life you know we fight for his education every year we have a lawyer and have to sit in just for him to be able to be included in a classroom and and that's because there's not a true depiction of that he's a whole person Mm -hmm. with the same struggles Right. And he has a sister who has the same struggles as as any other sibling. And, and he has emotions. He can be up and down. And that's that's OK. He's a he's a 11 year old boy. And, and that's yeah, so I don't it's it's not a rant at all. It's you you nailed it when you say that, that it does have to. And, and I think this is where it changes because media and television and movies, they have so much power in our lives, especially during the pandemic. I mean, that was the first place everybody turned. Right. To see stories and hear stories. And. And the stories like coming down the mountain, they, they impact and they're true and, and they're real and they make a change and they validate, they validate our lives, you know, the lives of parents, the lives of an individual with Down syndrome, the lives of a sibling, they, because it's all just real. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We do have a lot of guests from the UK because I have found that the the changes are are happening there quicker than the United States. I, definitely a, a much bigger downstream community presence on social media, and that's kind of how we've reached out uh, at this time for guests and for storylines. Uh, we had a storyline about Emmerdale and some controversy that was happening there. And if that had happened in the States, I don't think it would have been a, a, a an uproar about it. I know that show had done some good, and then there's some controversy. And What was the controversy? The controversy was that there was a child with Down syndrome on for years, and then the, the best friend gets pregnant who's older. She finds out that she has a child with Down syndrome, and she aborts the child. So they were like, Emmerdale, you had a chance to, to not go there, which is the 90% choice. You had a chance to maybe make an influence. And then there was a backlash of like, well, I mean, really, does this influence anybody? But we know that that media influences. And I think part of the the problem was that, you know, their argument was about women's rights, which those are so important. But that wasn't really the story that was being told because it was not just the right. It was that this decision was being based upon Down syndrome. Just... Purely, that, that purely down it. syndrome. And so, right. so it wasn't really, because the storyline where this is the mother's decision and it's a hard decision, that's one storyline because that's real and true. But then when you throw in that, oh, well, it's because of this, then that devalues. Yeah, there's joy of the pregnancy initially. And then she finds out. And, and so... That's, that's like, I'm astounded by that. It's like, why would you want to put that on screen? It's just such that's a choice, isn't it? Anyway, that I I don't know. I I um we were told that there was a possibility that my oldest would have Down syndrome. And um we were told, well, the way to find out is to have an amnio. And um we just decided it was too we didn't want to um take the risk. That seemed like a risky maneuver, so we decided not to. And it was quite ironic because I was I actually started developing coming down the mountain quite soon after I gave birth. So it's funny because when you look back on things, I don't think I ever really made that connection, but that did happen. But that's, yes, I can see why that storyline would be problematic to say the least. When, when you're pregnant, that's the, when they, that's one of the tests that are so heavy handed. I know here in the United States, like that's the one test that they, they pretty much, mandate it such a push to have you find out if your child has down syndrome and then there it's a really horrible conversation afterwards we've spoken to so many moms and our experience when Liam was born was you could have done something and it's just that you would say that to a mom whose child is fighting for his life is like I mean I do find your work very moving your the the pieces that I've watched that you have made very moving indeed and really insightful Oh, that means a Thank lot. You. Thank you. No, absolutely. I, I can't forget them. Yeah. The one that you sent me after the rap party. It's just absolutely beautiful. The want? The want, yeah. That, that'll be it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank I you. urge everyone to watch it. Oh, well, thank you. And well, we feel the same about the things that you create because it's just such a, it's so important, Julie, and it means so much, you know, um, just talking about when you were pregnant and having that be a, to be approached about having an amnio and, and that decision. That's one of the things that we really tried to advocate for moms to just not have. I mean, I don't know how it felt 
do you even remember what you felt when they or how it was delivered the news or I remember it was an intense time you know it wasn't without emotion but ultimately we was both of us you know we just decided that the risks were just too high to the child so we that's why we decided not to proceed it just seemed so kind of seemed like a very aggressive maneuver <laughs> so we just decided we don't we don't either way it's fine you know we'll just it's fine i haven't thought about it literally in 16 years but i do remember that um quite clearly well it's, yeah sometimes there's such a negative connotation with a diagnosis and that's part of the reason we developed this podcast is just to to bring a positive story to to some things yeah i think it's great i think it's great well and your stories do the same and we and we you know at a, at a much bigger level no <laughs> and we appreciate them no i don't think so i'm uh you've got I watched some of your podcast. You've got great production values. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. And one of your questions was, do I work with people with a disability or are there people with a disability in my life? So at this point, what I thought I would talk about is, um, I don't know if you know the school, Frostig School. Do you know Frostig? No. Um, so both of my kids have been to the school it's called Frostig and it is a specific school for kids with special needs. So both my kids have got um, kind of profound symbol recognition issues, i.e. dyslexia. Um, the second, the 12 year old has it even worse than the, my oldest, my 16 year old. And my second kid's got ADD and my first kid has ADHD. And so they've both been through this school and we love this school. It's just such a wonderful community. And it was very interesting. My, my younger son, who's going there at the moment, he was in a Montessori school before. And I used to go and I'd watch him in the Montessori school. And he had a lot of really good friends, but they were all moving on and moving on and moving on academically. And in a Montessori school, it's, you tend to it was a very very strict Montessori school so you go you get your job they would call it take your job do the job and then put the job away and I would watch him and he would be going through the motions they would be completely hollow he would just be pretending to do the job which involved often reading math something and all of his friends would be going on and so anyway so he went to the school Frostig and you could tell almost immediately, he felt like he was included in, he'd found his people. And so I do think it's really important, you were talking about your battles to ha have your child, the accommodations required for Liam in a mainstream school. I would say as well, it's very hard for parents to accept that their child is maybe not going to get on in a mainstream school, ideally, you know, it's hard to kind of think, well, maybe he's really good in a community of people where he doesn't feel he's the only one, you know, he didn't have to be different. He could, he was in with everybody else. And that made just psychologically 
to his confidence, his confidence soared. So what's going to be interesting now for him is he's re-entering mainstream education next year. And um, it's funny, I was talking to him the other day. He was reading out loud and he finds it very, very difficult. And I said to him, what are you going to do at school next year if they say to you, read this out loud to the class? You know, I said, what are you, what are you going to say? And he said, well, I'm going to get really good at reading so I can read out loud in front of the class. And I, I, he's always going to be, find it very difficult to read no matter how hard he tries. And so what I'm hoping for him, and I said, well, you can say to the teacher, you know, I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't feel that it's, it's, you know, I just hope that he can learn to advocate for himself in a mainstream setting, because I think that's the most that that's going to be critical, really, for him, is that he, he learns those skills, because everybody deserves (laughs) a place in that classroom. And I just feel he he's, he's got so much confidence now, I would hate to see it crushed in the mainstream school setting. I'd love to know what you guys think about that. The the verbiage is that he has the support that he needs to access his curriculum and a least restrictive environment. That's that's it. And there's so many different things. And and I think that's that's the goal, like you said, is everybody deserves a place in that classroom. Yes. You know, and it's just like to see everybody dancing at the ball. It's the same thing. So there are there are lots of different things that he should just have in place that will give him the support, even if it's just the conversation with the teacher that if he doesn't, that he can volunteer when he feels comfortable to read and not to be called upon because that's for his, you know, that's, that's for his spirit, right? The thing is, it's less to do with the accommodations and more to do with the self-advocacy, I think. I really hope that the school that he's in now will do that for him, but also it would be good to know if there's anywhere he can go and get special maybe training in how to advocate for himself. I just want to see him thrive, you know. Right. You want to see him yeah. thrive and succeed and there's so many ways for him to do it and that's really you know that those supports are out there for him and that's that's the goal. We have a great episode with a behavioralist that even talks about, you know, I have different habits. I have different things that that are accommodated in society, right? So we all do. So that's kind of the groundwork and the foundation that we have to give our children. And by doing that and by creating these inclusive classrooms and creating this beautiful tapestry on on the television and and film, that's what we do. We, we create that and those seeds that are then planted are ones of inclusion and are ones of diversity. And we're so happy that you could join us. And I know you have to cut it short and we're, we're honored and thrilled and so grateful. Don't worry. Definitely. I'll come back anytime. It's great to talk to you again. I think what you're doing is really, really important and um, we should keep talking. Yes, we'd like that because we feel what you're doing is equally as important. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come and talk.